The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions or make comments about the show on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. Our first segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today we're blessed to have a repeat visitor on the show, uh, uh, John Cotter of Cotter International and uh, Harvard Business uh, School uh, Professor Emeritus. Welcome, to the sh- welcome back to the show, John. Well, thank you, Dave. Well, it's, it's uh, great to have you again. And... Um, I think it was, it's been a while. It was, I think, uh, June when we first started the show of 2015. You were on last. And, and of course, you've done so much to understand and bring about effective change in, in organizations around uh, around the world. And uh, the last time you were on the, the show, we explored some of the early influences in your life. But I'm actually, I'm, uh, we, I've had a repeat guest on the show, Carrie Hannon, who follows people's second acts. What do people do later in life? And I'm, so I'd, Rather than ask the same question I asked last time, I'm I'm curious about your quote second act. Um, uh, you're an emeritus professor. You've had terrific influence, and at a time of life when many people are slowing down to go golfing or fishing, um, you keep on ticking. Um, um, what is it that keeps you ticking in in your in your in your second your second or third or fourth act, whatever act we're on? The thought of, I must admit, and I don't want to put down anybody who's doing that. That's not my point. Yep. But the thought of sitting around and playing golf and fishing uh, just horrifies me. Um, uh, it, it, what, you, you want to do things that are fun and that you find meaningful. And there are people uh, at this time of life, at my time of life, that are um, just having a great time with their grandchildren and some things that they've never had a chance to do when they were working long hours. Uh, and I don't begrudge that at all. But there are also uh, a lot of CEOs sitting usually in Naples, Florida, who are playing golf in the morning, probably drinking too much in the afternoon, and making no contribution to society and not happy about it. Well, this is nuts. And so some time ago I said, 
that's not going to be me. And my act right now is we founded, actually a Microsoft exec talked me into it, and we founded a business seven years ago, and it's a, it's a management consulting business based on my work, um, and it is, it's going to grow, what, 48% this year. It's got a fabulous group of professionals working for it, it um, and it's making a difference out there, and that's just fun. So why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, and uh, and why wouldn't you? And that's it's exactly what you're doing. And it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story to hear it uh, to hear it uh, put that way. And I hope we, we get a chance to talk about some of the w- ways that uh, uh, Cotter International is making a difference. Maybe in our last segment, we can focus on some of those those uh, change stories. Uh, and and again, the early part of the show, we'd like to s- sort of pursue the personal side of things. And and um, you know, much of your writing about change is about organizational change and leadership, um, and, but it seems to me that there's a sense in which big transformational change in organizations or even down at, in our lives is fundamentally about – has a, a personal component where the, where the person changes. And so as, as you're – and this is a tough question – but as your change writing, thinking, and practice has evolved over the years, uh, in, in what ways has, has that change been reflected in you as a person, as a human being? Well, that's an interesting question, actually, and it would be a good question for about anybody to yep. ask, no matter what age they're, they're at, even young people. Um, and I hope, I hope, knock, knock, that um, as I've accumulated more experiences uh, over the years, then I'm becoming a little smarter <laughs> and a little wiser um, and, recognize, and a little more humble in the face of the complexity uh, that surrounds us more and more all the time in a world that moves faster and faster. Um, in which it's, uh, with all the change, it's more difficult to predict um, exactly what's happening, going to happen next, uh, which we've seen recently in the political sphere, not only here but in Europe. Sure. Uh, and uh, I, I, I hope I am, you know, holding on to my own um, um, ego uh, in light of um, um, a, a lot of um, people who are very graciously saying ni- nice things to me, recognizing um, that um, um, the world is complex, and to try to know, try to really, really step back and and um, be. Uh, 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 Try to be. I think yes. that's it. Uh, <clears throat> at this point, um, a good grandfatherly figure um, that has learned a few things and is trying to pass on um, um, a few bits of uh, wisdom um, to um, the next generation down, all the way down to the um, the eighteen year olds, and yeah. that's a lot of fun. Uh, Again, I think where people get uh, carried away is they think they know too much 
when in fact uh, they don't. And with the world changing, uh, the uh, the uh, the time that something is uh, is for sure uh, decreases, um, and you got to humbly recognize that too, and not be and not feel insecure. Uh, about it in the sense that, oh, I'm growing old, I don't know anything anymore. Um, and, uh, and, and starting this firm has had, I mean, I'm in a, a new job. Yeah. Um, I'm still uh, teaching at the school, um, but I'm the chairman now of a company, not the CEO, and uh, trying to figure out exactly what that means and add the most value to this to this growing enterprise has been um, an interesting uh, job and one that is if, if, uh, uh, f- forcing me in a sense out of my um, zone yep. and into a different zone um, and on, and it can be uh, a little stressful at times or a little confusing at times. Um, but it's it's fascinating, you know, whenever yeah, and, uh, people do that, and and no, no matter the age too, um, whether well, one of the, what, you know, or twenty two. Yep. One of the blessings I have as a as a coach is I get to sit with people, uh, sometimes explicitly called in to work with people through transitions, and I'm hearing I heard a bunch of things in what you just said. So one, I heard the part about, um, and it's actually interesting how many times the H word is used on the show from pe- really smart people who have contributed a lot and but also recognize that, that they there are things that they have learned and know and then there are things that they don't know and that's okay and there's there's more to find out and and the complexity of the world demands that we um, be okay with a good bit of not knowing so the the, the word humility or, or humbleness comes up a lot I heard a part about fun with uh, 18-year-olds, and then I heard the part about your own transition from mainly being a professor to mainly being uh, a chairman. I, I, I'm just curious about that. So that's a, that's an interesting transition. That's a that's a pretty big shift, second act shift. And so, uh, and I heard heard some things about oh uh, stress and discomfort and but I'm hearing hearing a lot of learning so if you were to if you were to stand back from that experience to date what what do you think the big takeaways are um, one or two things that sort of stick with you that you learned from that shift from um, mainly being a professor to more or less mainly being a chairman well there are a lot number one there are a lot of things that are different yep. um, number two that does put uh, um, some anxiety uh, on you, but in the final analysis, um, it produces growth, and growth is good at any age, uh, yeah. um, uh, and, and I, th- I see too many people in their um, CEOs in their 50s who are kind of settling into that role, and some of them, I just met a guy, what, 10 days ago? that had been CEO of his company for something like 14 years. And I didn't say it to him because, you know, I, I don't know him uh, personally, and I, I don't think he'd listen. Um, he'd think I'm a jerk. Uh, but I was uh, thinking to myself, you ought to be moving on. <laughs> 14 years in this job, 
is uh, uh, you played out your hand, and you may be getting in the way right now, uh, but that doesn't mean just going out and, and sitting on the, uh, on, on the lawn and getting some sun. There are all kinds of things you could do. And I think the pressures on young people um, to uh, continue to uh, grab new opportunities are stronger today, and I think that's not bad at all. But it, it's interesting how people, no matter what their age, you know, 20, 40, 60 and on, can kind of get into a comfort zone yes. and start to feel a little nervous about it or start to convince themselves that this is the place to be. Um, and maybe unconsciously get a little nervous about uh, the thought of uh, uh, moving out of it and all of a sudden not having the answers and um, all of a sudden having to go up a learning curve yep. um, once again. Um, um, but I think, I think we're going to find in the future uh, more and more people, certainly um, <clears throat> younger people, who are going to go through multiple careers. Uh, you've probably heard that many times. Yep. Um, and I pray that there are going to be more people who are um, uh, really experienced that don't just toss in the towel at age uh, 60 or 65, but find some new, cool, fun way, although it will be different, and it will add a few um, challenges to contribute to society. Well, and it's, yeah, and it's so... um um, it's so interesting, you know, so I think as we think about the way organizations have changed and, and the way that, uh, oh, that technology enables so many different more possibilities in, in, well, in all different phases, you know, we see much younger entrepreneurship and then we see people, crazy people like me starting nonprofits, uh, you know, when they retire from the university that, um, have global aspirations with little, little budgets, and so there's there's all kinds of different things. I think it goes to your point about um, you know the the ways in which young young people have many more different opportunities. Everyone has many more different opportunities, and so um, whereas maybe it made sense uh, at a time to well, okay, go go retire because doing um, doing a new organization or doing something really different with your life actually requires a lot more work. Well, these days the transaction costs are less. You put up a website, you do a little of this, a little of that, and you've got something, something going on, on, on the side. And this seems to me to kind of flow into, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to get you back on the, on the show. And, and it actually routine versus sort of creativity and innovation was a, was a, was a big theme in your, um, new, new book, um, your new, your new fable, um, uh, with uh, Holger Rathgeber uh, called "That's Not How We Do It Here." And uh, before we get started into that, last time we had a nice conversation about the Goldberg family and penguins and so forth. And you've you've kind of hit it, you've knocked it out of the park with little furry mammals. Um, uh, my kids were big uh, fans of um, the uh, Brian Jacques books and the Redwall series. And so, right. of course, badgers, hares, and hedgehogs aren't exactly meerkats but before we get into what the book's about uh, uh there was a backstory about the penguins is there a backstory about why meerkats yeah um holder who's my uh, my uh, co-author on this um 
was convinced for years now that we ought to do a second fable. The, the, the first fable, I mean, just had an impact that was uh, so far beyond what I anticipated, um, not just in selling giga copies uh, globally, um, and uh, not just in, well, actually, there were more companies that would buy, you know, 100 or 500 copies and pass them around and start getting discussions going yep. that wouldn't happen easily without something as non-threatening and, and kind of fun to talk about as this little penguin fable. But actually, um, you know, there are three stage plays that were made out of that book. There were clubs all over the place, especially in the third world, that were started um, usually by, for young people uh, to uh, uh, talk about the book and then to start thinking about the society around them and doing something, including some in uh, universities. So anyway, Holger was saying, come on, come on, if, you know, this, if a fable can really do something like this, maybe we should do a, a follow-on to the Penguin book, you know, Penguins 2. And I never could quite wrap my mind about that because I couldn't see a good story from, you know, Penguins 2. Um, and he finally agreed with me, but he didn't give up on the fable idea. And so I said, well, if it's not going to be Penguins, um, what other animal? And he started obsessively going down these lists of of uh, mammals, and just one after another, thinking about what are the characteristics, what what could you do with them in a story? Would people relate to them, etc.? And he'd throw them by me and said, "I'm you know I'm rejecting this. What do you think?" And I'd say, "Yeah, oh God, I agree." <laughs> yeah. And and finally, he came to these little African creatures called meerkats. And most people think uh, they're just cute. Um, there's a lot less known about them than there are about um, um, penguins. Uh, it is kind of interesting that they're almost in the opposite uh, climate uh, from our penguins. Theirs being very hot and dry in a savanna yep. um, versus very, 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 very cold in Antarctica. But they're very social animals, um, and social animals lend themselves to stories about uh, kind of organizations, if you will. Yes. So the combination of very different, uh, adorable, uh, and social animals, I, and when he threw that up and said, told me, he said, I think this is a real possibility. I said, I love it. So that's the... That's the yeah, so that's how we, that's how we have uh, the... Uh, uh, Nadia Nicholas, uh, the the meerkat now. So, um, and so I think we got a part of the inspiration for it. But uh, so Holger was pushing it. But uh, from a story, you know, so the the first storyline was pretty great about you know why you know why change is necessary. What what inspired um, a new uh, a new fable? Um, you know, what's changed about change that we needed to have another story told? Well. The, the main thing that's been happening, and now we're be, beginning to even show it clearer and clearer in a quantitative sense, so it's not just uh, people's guesses or opinions, yep. is the rate of change is just going up and up and up. Um, you can see it on, in, in so many statistics, in so many areas. Um, Technology is the easiest way. You know, the number of patents uh, 
um, filed in the U.S. Uh, Patent Office, the amount of uh, disk storage available out there, um, but also financial measures, um, the amount of money flowing around this globe, yep. um, uh, New York Stock Exchange um, um, volume, even though that does bounce around with recessions, if you back back up a bit and draw a line through it, it's another exponential curve. Yep. And it's clear to me, and I wrote about this in the book before Meerkats, that um, as you go up that curve, um, how you have to deal with change begins to shift in subtle but important ways, too. And um, I wrote about it in a regular kind of business book called Accelerate. Accelerate, yep. And we thought, can we do something with not only the Accelerate material, but some of the most basic material that we thought um, those ideas are, are grounded in, which go, goes back to a book of mine, I don't know, uh, maybe even 20 years ago, yep. and do it in the, uh, in the format of a, a fable. So it was taking, in a sense, the latest stuff based on what's happening out there that's important uh, to everybody. Um, yeah. Because it's shaping um, our work lives, it's shaking, shaping our non-work lives, and um, and put that into a uh, a fable story, which is what we've done. And I, and let's uh, actually, we need to take a little bit of a break, but I want to jump into um, a little bit about what the book's about and what some of those some of those lessons are. See if we can tie the uh, the stuff that goes back to leading change and the things that you wrote about and accelerate in this in in the fable. Uh, so let's uh, let's go take a break and then we can uh, pick up and talk a little bit more about the book and its lessons. How's that sound? Sounds great. Great. This is our this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest John Cotter of Cotter International and the Harvard Business School. Stay with us, and the next segment we're going to talk a little bit uh, um, about his new uh, uh, business fable. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. 
or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg, and the second segment is sponsored by Three Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and uh, change cons- consultation to help help transform your educational institution. And um, you can ask our, our guests uh, questions or make comments on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And we're rejoined in the second segment by uh, with, with uh, John Cotter of Cotter International. And, John, we were just talking about... Uh, um, your your new book with Holger Rathgaber, uh, that's not how we do it here. And um, it's actually I was thinking about this. It's actually not an easy book to describe. But anyway, so we've got we got a we've got some meerkats on the savanna, and they're having they're 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 facing some change challenges. Uh, uh, what can you tell our listeners about the book? Well, you know, we got a meerkat community, and they're very well run. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a it's a model for a well-managed meerkat community, and and um, and we have Nadia, who's kind of a, a young rising um, star in this community, just gets a promotion, and and um, uh, and and because they've done so well, of course, they have they're very well thought out set of processes and procedures, and you know how we do it here. Um, which they teach uh, all new young meerkats. And um, all of a sudden, they get hit with a series of um, new stuff in their, their habitat begins to change. And they attack these problems the same way they attack um, daily problems that uh, they've seen a thousand times before. And it starts to sound like a lot of stuff we've seen in organizations and businesses, yep. um, and uh, one of Nadia's closest uh, meerkat buddies uh, actually comes up with a very innovative idea on how to deal with one of these problems, and um, it just gets in in the in the scramble in this kind of running around in circles, um, you know, reorganizing. <laughs> Uh, setting up task forces and everything, it gets uh, it gets just totally ignored, um, along probably with some other very innovative ideas. And she just gets so frustrated by the whole thing that she does something radical. She and a and a meerkat friend uh, use use some logic. Actually, they say there must be a better way to do this, <laughs> and we know there are other meerkat clans out there. Um, what if we went out and tried to see what others are doing? And if somebody has really found a way to deal with this uh, most difficult, most frustrating situation, and uh, it's taking some rest doing that. And um, her brother, who's a senior kind of manager and a well-respected guy, is just just beyond himself, can't believe his his younger sister is going to try something this nutty. But she does, and as they go out, they run into meerkat clans that are in worse shape uh, than theirs, dealing with the same um, problems that are suddenly hitting them. Um, But then she finally comes across one that is totally different um, from hers. Uh, It would remind us, you know, you and I, of, uh, of a startup. 
um, uh, entrepreneurial startup. And indeed, it is a very young clan that's just come together and has a very, very different way of operating that looks much more like a, a startup. And she's just absolutely uh, fascinated uh, because they are, are just an innovation machine. They come up with new ideas all the time. Everybody's involved. There's no uh, status or hierarchy. Um, <clears throat> they put, uh, if somebody wants to volunteer, they'll put the youngest person in charge of some pro- a project that they're very, very excited about. Um, and it just, uh, because it's so good, they're, they're attracting uh, meerkats uh, who are uh, abandoning their uh, disintegrating um, uh, tribes uh, left and right. And, of course, they grow, and they have more puppies, and they grow. And it all works out uh, just uh, fantastically until they hit a certain size. And then they start to run into a different set of problems, but they're just as frustrating and, uh, you know, pull your little meerkat hair out um, as back in her original clan. And from this, she's beginning to think, you know, life is, <laughs> life is pretty awful here. I, I, my, my first love of a, a clan falls apart. I find something infinitely better, and it's falling apart. And then the light bulb kind of goes on, and she gets this blinding idea of maybe what the future should be and how you could create something that's better than either of these clans that could deal with this size and complexity and yet a rapidly changing environment. And um, she goes back to her original clan with the goal of seeing, is there some way to convince these guys that this idea has merit and to start changing them? I mean, a huge, ambitious goal. And start changing them um, where they can actually execute it and become, uh, if it worked, um, you know, the number one uh, meerkat uh, clan in uh, Kalahari. And that's the story, basically. I'm not gonna. Yeah, we uh, don't want to get. We don't want to give away the uh, ending or the or no, more details no, no. of the of the plot. But it seems to me that there are a number of different themes that kind of are Im- embedded in this uh, pretty directly. You know, so for example, um, to a good a good extent, and even in the in the title, you're that's not how we do it here. Uh, how we do things here is really a signature phrase of of culture. You know that right. so culture is in some ways how we we do things here, but it, it from from your perspective and your experience, what you know how how do how do you talk about organizational culture? What is organizational culture for John Cotter? Well, the organizational culture, without getting um, too and dry and academic, uh, yep, is 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 something that was found by or started being talked uh, about meaningfully. Uh, by a social anthropologist maybe in the 1930s um, when they dis- uh, discovered these uh, what seemed to be very, very strange tribes out in the South Pacific, yet who functioned very well, but they were just very different from us. Um, and it got picked up um, by people like us 
um, in the uh, early 1980s. I think that's when the first uh, organizational culture book was written that was a bestseller. Actually, it was picked up earlier in the 1960s. Um, but what culture is, is it's a, it's a, a set of norms, the, you know, kind of implicit little rules of uh, how you do things around here. And underneath those, like underneath the, the iceberg, some uh, shared values, some shared beliefs about what is good um, in life that, uh, that are quite logically support those norms. And the key thing about culture <clears throat> is it gets just passed on without anybody much thinking about it. That is to say, when a new person joins an organization, if he or she uh, violates the culture, uh, somebody will kind of uh, uh, make a joke or um, um, do something that's more of a sanction that kind of pushes them in the direction of how we do things around here. Um, and uh, all organizations that have been around for a while and have had some stability and have had some success, that's very, very yep. important, yep. will have a, a culture. Uh, and the older they are and the more successful they are, and the more stable, I mean, they haven't been, uh, you know, sold and bought and uh, acquired and merged and 16 times, the more they will um, have a culture. Um, and that's what culture means to me. Uh, and obviously, I think it's a good way of thinking about it. Well, and 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 it's those deep, you know, those deep assumptions underneath, especially in, when when. Uh, when change is fast and and large changes are needed, those deep assumptions are um, go go unexamined and are in many ways the 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 form where resistance is coming from. And as you say, it's people are aren't really noticing that they have those things. Those are just we just believe those things here. And so when people suggest things that are countercultural, uh, that's that's when you get the sanctions, as you mentioned, or you get the jokes first and the sanctions later, and and uh, and uh, and then people get fired or or right. you know gets get sent to to uh, less status uh, jobs of less status uh, for for right. violating those norms. Right. So it seemed and to so me that in, so that in a, in, yeah. in a world that moves more rapidly, yeah. which is what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Um, even even companies that have quote, good cultures, I mean, in the sense that the culture has lots of stuff in it that supports uh, uh, collaboration, for example, and teamwork, uh, or other good attributes. If those uh, are, you know, uh, usually unexamined and they just uh, um, uh, go on, all attributes are never, never all perfect for today's world. Some were uh, great when they were first formed back in the uh, 1990s or the 1960s or the 1930s, and they do get in the way now of uh, of, uh, change. Um, I mean, you know, you got you got great stories, yeah. uh, and, uh, like how Tom Watson the first, who formed the first major international technology company, um, which we know uh, today as IBM, um, in the nineteen late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties, he insisted that every one of his salesmen uh, dress in a black suit, white shirt, and a tie. 
And it turns out back then, salesmen did not dress that way. They were a lot like those, uh, the guy in uh, the Music Man, music uh, man the yep. musical, you know, kind of uh, plaid. Uh, and they were <clears throat> with sh- shady characters. And he wanted a sales force um, that could differentiate itself um, from all the competitors and um, uh, visually suggesting a sales force that were more like, uh, I won't say funeral directors, but solid, sober um, um, business um, um, people. And he insists upon it. And, of course, after, after a decade or two, that just disappeared. The whole reason for it disappears, and it becomes a part of the, the culture. And then we hit uh, the 1970s, 1980s. All of a sudden, technology is changing like mad. The kids that they're, uh, they're hiring and they desperately need look at these uh, you know, uh, black suits and white shirts, and they think that it's a joke. And um, and some of them don't join. I don't want to be uh, associated with a stuffy organization like this. And all of a sudden, something that once uh, made sense that kind of crept into the culture, thou should wear this uniform, um, gets in the way of the kind of tra- change that they need uh, to keep up with uh, uh, technology and when. Yeah, and it seems to me that, the, you know, so you've called out this sort of... Um, um, the IBM example, and and the book has the fundamental juxtaposition of sort of creativity and innovation versus effective routine management. And as, but it seems to me that as part of any change process, that we face a multitude of these. Uh, Barry Johnson uses the term polarities, and that these polarities, um, we oftentimes at a particular point think of one polarity as being more important than the other, or like we think of one the the opposite polarity as a solution to the current polarity, but we actually need a way of managing or leveraging both polarities and respecting both of them in some sort of way, which I think actually is part of part of where your book leads in the particular polarity of creativity versus effective effective management. But as, but you were actually I think calling out that lar- that that those contraries or those opposites as as part of what change is all about, and cultures usually have kind of a particular preference for a particular polarity that, that, that needs to be challenged. Comment? Oh, yeah. And a, and a lot of it, uh, there's so much in this world that gets up, uh, put up as, do we want to be X or Y? And the critical word there, believe it or not, is not X or Y, whatever those words are, but the or. Or, yeah. Yeah. And increasingly, yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think in, in very often uh, in some of the big, biggest uh, kind of intellectual breakthroughs throughout history uh, is somebody says, somebody says, no, it's not or, it's and. Okay, we've, we've got to, we, we can't ignore, in, in the language you, you just used, Either polarity, um, they both have something to say, and um, we've got to learn to um, think that way, and then organize ourselves that way, and uh, and proceed that way. And increasingly today, uh, among large uh, mature organizations, uh, there is so much stuff that uh, often gets put down. Uh, 
you know, uh, man, you know, we're going to eliminate management. I, that that I think is just a, a riot. Um, we're going to um, only have, uh, you know, uh, we're going to have um, no rules in HR um, because we're freewheeling. Not not if you're ten thousand people and you're forty years old. Good luck. Um, um, or or people who are in mature organizations that are just scared to death, or uh, they just think it's naive to ever believe that they could uh, act like a uh, um, a young, um, not hierarchical, um, network based. Um, everybody kind of uh, uh, running around and having the opportunity to provide initiative, leadership from uh, the lower levels. Um, uh, nobody with many stripes on their arms. Uh, organization, you, you have to have one or the other. Well, now, in the kind of world we're in right now, uh, that is a bad way of thinking. Um, uh, the evidence is overwhelming. You've got to start thinking about or, and then you've got to start finding a way um, to um, um, an organizational architecture, if you will, yeah. for creating that uh, and. Yeah, and I and I think this. Uh, yeah, I think we want to. I think we want to get right exactly on this point. We need to take a little bit of a break, but I I think this point about and 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 also architecture and other ways to sort of get the end. It seems to me that the. The, a lot of the the subtleness about change leadership has to do with how do you get how do you get the and on key key polarities. Let's let's take a break and talk talk about that if that's okay. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-472. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. 
And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Our final segment is uh, is uh, sponsored by Educational Innovators Working Group and Innovators Across Boundary in Big Beacon. Join us um, join us next next January for our first uh, webinar on to help uh, develop uh, leaders change acceleration and shift skills needed for effective transformation and change. Watch bigbeacon.org for details or write to me Dave Goldberg at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. And we're rejoined in the the final segment by John Cotter of Cotter International and the Harvard Business School. And and John, we were, I, I think this is such an interesting thing we were talking about in the last segment. And and I thought I, I thought the book did a great job of um, sort of bringing. And actually, that, we were sort of talking about this in the in the first segment. Um, that actually, um, when you write a, we weren't talking about at this point, but uh, the idea of writing a, a fable like this enables you to integrate together many of the threads of your thoughts. So it seems to me that there's stuff going here about emotion, there's stuff going about culture, there's stuff going about architecture. You got the eight, you know, the eight, eight process steps are kind of embedded in there. It's like you've got everything in one place. And it seems to me that actually stories are the way human beings naturally deal with complexity. We tell stories and, it, and they, it, they, they're little packages of, of what we think is important. And, and uh, it seems to me that that's one of the reasons uh, the Penguin book and the Mere, uh, was so effective and the uh, Meerkat book's going to be as effective as, as that one, perhaps. Comment? Yeah, I think our, if you think back of how we must have evolved um, over many, 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 many years, um, the way we originally learned is uh, through stories. I mean, there was no yep. um, written uh, writing. There were no uh, professional books and uh, PowerPoint slide decks. Uh, there were stories that were uh, at first told uh, just verbally. Um, uh, the chief um, talking to the youngsters in the clan about the time that uh, Uncle Harry was eaten by the saber-toothed tiger or yep. something. Um, and stories, uh, so I think we're hardwired for them, uh, and especially if they have some drama in them, uh, because drama becomes sticky, uh, as, uh, as some psychologists say, and we remember it. Somehow the brain holds on to it, and so if there are some lessons in there, we hold on to the lessons too. We don't forget about them the way we forget about management meetings and the slides in about 24 hours or um, yeah. or less. And you're right, you can pack an awful lot of um, material um, that's about an awful lot of topics into a story, and yet it doesn't feel like it's this endless list of points or this endless, you know, 200 uh, slide PowerPoint deck because it's integrated into something that we can uh, relate to from our uh, our own um, um, lives. And, and when you see groups reading the, uh, these books, this last one in particular, I just saw some uh, a group of just a dozen uh, middle managers read it recently. Yep. And um, they pick up what is particularly, you know, out of the long list of things that are in there, they pick up the stuff that is particularly relevant to them yep. right then in their situation. Um, a different group might pick up a slightly different um, um, set of issues or with, with more emotion. And that's, that's terrific. That, um, that's just what you want. 
Well, and and actually, so you called out drama, and really, you know, drama's uh, what is drama? Drama's um, it's a set of circumstances that has some emotional tension in, in it, and and so, um, and it seems to me that that's a lot of what's missing. You know, you you know when you can write about the heart of change as as you have done, and and. And you can tell stories that have emotion, but here the the drama is you know part and parcel of the the experience. And I get, but I guess I'm I'm curious about emotion more generally. It's it, it's it. I'm wondering if there's a relationship between the role of emotion in um, both. Well, there's a role of emotion in resisting change. There's also a role of emotion in bringing about effective change, and whether with the kinds of transformative changes that we're looking at, the speed of change and the magnitude of change that we need to make, whether emotion is more or less important now than it say was back when when you first started in this business. Oh, I don't think. That, first of all, on your second point, there's no question it's more important. Um, um, the speed of change goes up, which means you need to change more, and changing more um, is not necessarily what the human animal does easily. Um, and emotion, um, the, the the evidence that we're piling up more and more is when you see successful changes, they're driven and they're sustained to the end more, um, uh, more by positive emotions. Yep. And when you see uh, changes that uh, get bogged down or never get started, they never yep. really get off the ground, what, what is floating around the organization is a lot of negative emotions. So it's, it's, the, it's the difference between um, this thing in, in most of us that find it just very exciting or, or gives us a lot of pride if, if, we're, if it looks like we're striving towards something that is meaningful to us yep. or is, is uh, we're going to win um, on the one side uh, and on the other side, if, if we're just being driven by anxiety, um, anger, um, anxiety, you know, we hide underneath our desks, anger, we shoot at people, neither of which uh, does a yep. great job at um, making change happen in a positive way. Um, but the, and, and that's one of the things we've learned in our, in our consulting, because I used to write about um, you, you want to get a sense of urgency going at the beginning of any major change, um, a sense of urgency about the opportunities or the hazards out there. And I've now, by watching our consultants, uh, concluded that maybe um, uh, talking about hazards is useful if you've got a very, very com- complacent group. And they need a little, you know, zapping to wake them up. Yep. Um, but after that, this whole notion of, you know, uh, burning platform, which uh, as a way to sustain and get a, a change going, no, you've got to turn it to positive stuff. You've got to turn people to thinking about opportunity. Uh, you've got to get them excited about opportunity. And, um, A, it's possible. And, B, when it gets going... It's amazing how it, it, it can be just this source of energy. And if you get people aligned around the same direction, we're going north, you know, we're not going east or south, um, how many people can be drawn into actually helping, uh, not just not resisting, uh, but helping 
and helping over a significant period of time, not burning out in the process, um, which is totally consistent with uh, a whole chunk of uh, the, the psychological uh, literature over the last uh, 10 years, too. Um, and it, it, it's, it can be great fun to be a part of, you know, as a third party like we are as consultants, but more importantly, if you're involved in it. No, and that that's uh, yeah, that's and it's so interesting that and you just called it out. We live in this time where there are all these results coming. There's neuroscientific results. There's social scientific results. Social psycholo- psychological results. All kinds of results that are sort of uh, that are pointing in this in in these uh, in these same um, same directions. And and thinking about and thinking about some of what. Um, and it is a bit of a Rorschach test, and so I'm probably saying more about myself and what I got out of the book. But I, I noticed, um, in, in, in addition to the emotional component, um, there was something that we had taught. You were talking about last time that we talked uh, that had come out in the book Accelerate about the dual operating system, and and that came out in in this book as well. There was an example of of um, of kind of having a startup inside of the the uh, the stagier um, the stagier organization. Uh, you know how how important is that these days? Uh, before it was more I, I the think, process. I mean I, I mean, I can't prove prove prove, but I we've got increasing evidence yep. that this is going to have to be the the new architecture, if you will, yep. um, where you have something that can be incredibly reliable and efficient, that makes the train run on time, um, um, that is totally integrated, nevertheless, with something that looks more like a startup. Um, so it's a different uh, structure. It's a, it's a different attitude. Um, um, and it can provide the thinking up the innovative ideas and helping you launch um, with energy uh, and force uh, into the future, um, and they have to be—they have to be tightly connected. And we found one way to get them tightly connected is you don't have two separate groups of people, which is the way uh, a lot of organizations are doing it this way. You know, they have their 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 main uh, uh, business, and then they uh, set up these little side businesses that are going to uh, invent the future. Um, uh, there's just increasing, I mean, there's evidence that goes back 30 years that this has uh, perils, that uh, even if these guys do invent some cool stuff, that this, uh, the, the, the ones that are supposed to invent the future are very different kind of organizations that look more like entrepreneurships. Yeah. Um, getting them then to give it back to the main organization that has the scale and has the resources and has the people to be able to uh, take it, embrace it, love it, you know, produce it, sell it, Um, it just doesn't happen. Uh, You get a not-invented-here syndrome. uh, You get a uh, a pushback for a, a thousand reasons of why this thing won't work or these guys are naive about the realities of the marketplace or, 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 or. And the track record is not um, over, is not 100% um, yep. failure on this stuff, uh, but it is dismal. And yet 
um, that seems to be the number one model for trying to pull together entrepreneurship and mature, um, well-managed organizations together um, today. And I would predict as much money as I can get my hands on that that is not going to be the future. Yeah, uh, and I wish we had, John, I wish we had more time where the, the, the show has fl- flown by and, and we've, We've still got a lot, lot to talk about, but I, um, I'm going to give you the last word and and uh, let pe- let you give coordinates where people can find out about your work and about Cotter International. How can people find out more about about your stuff? Well, it, you know, go to go to uh, Amazon under K O T T E R, and you'll get the the books or most of them. Yep. Um, and uh, go to CotterInternational.com with a K. All one word, and it will explain a lot more what the company is doing these days. Um, and uh, you know, if you have a specific question or a specific problem, just write me. I'm just John at Cotter International, and believe it or not, I answer most of my emails. Um, um, so there are lots of ways to get in touch with us, um, and um, um, and the exciting stuff we're doing right now. Well, and John, I, I feel like we had, I wanted to get to some of that, uh, some of those exciting stories, and we we got and in, we got into a lot of other exciting stuff. I wanted, I hope we can get you back on the, the show in a few months, and maybe we can talk about some of the cool things uh, you're doing at uh, at Cotter International, uh, even now moving into the educational arena. Hope we can get you back on the show. Thanks for thanks for joining us. My pleasure. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education with special guest John Cotter. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. And join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.